Welcome to episode 2 of The Timeline. Everything that has happened, happened. I think we need a better catchphrase than that. (laughs) I'm Robin Smith and I'm your guide through the history of all things, both real and imaginary, I suppose. Fiction. Fiction and non-fiction. Everything is part of the same timeline. So we're going through the history of different franchises and media and artworks and TV shows all sorts and creating a accurate timeline or as accurate as possible of all the events or the key events in those works and uh, comparing them to real world events as well creating a, a full timeline for everything uh, with me again for the second pilot episode is old friend of the show <laughs> Limbert Bond the emperor is back the emperor Emperor of what? <laughs> the Emperor of the Timeline. That's it. Okay. <laughs> so the, your, you, your empire is all of time. Yep. Okay. Um, today we've moved on uh, from the last episode, which was a while ago, uh, because it's almost impossible to get other guests, so <laughs> I'm relying on you. Um it's uh, been a while, but we we watched Blade 1 last time. Remember a few bits from that. It's been a while. Well, the second Blade has a recap at the beginning, so... <laughs> sort of a semi-recap. It's more yeah. of a reintroduction yeah. to the character. It gives you a couple of bits, but we'll cover that. Um, but, uh, yes, you, you remember enough from the first yes. Blade. So, do you remember where Blade 1 f- finished up? In Russia? Or like? Yeah, you're very good, very good. You get in there. Um, so let's quickly have a look at the general research for this film so we're back at episode 2 and today we're going to be looking at um, the second in the Blade acclaimed Blade trilogy of films uh, Blade 2 the tagline last time he fought against his sworn enemies this time he will fight with them which I mean technically true um, so Blade 2 was released in the 22nd of March 2002 um, in US screens and came out on 29th of March 2002 in UK screens so unlike Blade 1 where there was a bit of a gap yeah. between UK and US releases um, it got quite a short gap between releases for for the UK and the US, which is a was the start of a nice change. It, it's become more um, likely in recent years that you'll get a Marvel or comic film first in the UK now. Most yeah, on the whole, it's first in the UK. Um, but that depends. I mean, I, I think Captain Marvel was released first in America, but on the whole, it tends to be. We get the bulk of those sort I of things. I think it's doing more pirating though issues. Yeah, probably. Um, and often you'll find, uh, especially with 
DVD versions of films. Slightly different cuts in different countries as well. So for those listening now, the Blade 2 version is the PAL DVD. There might be some slight differences. If you do hear any differences or know of a scene that we've missed or don't seem to talk about, either we just skimmed over it or it isn't in our version, feel free to let us know. Um, uh, the email will be attached to the, <laughs> the podcast. So, um, a range of people joined the show or film uh, in this uh, second outing. Um, notably, you've got uh, uh, relatively well-known but fresh-faced at the time, uh, Norman Reedus. A young Norman um, Reedus. A young Norman Reedus. Uh, uh, Ron Perlman hops in. Um mainly because both of those guys seem to have a history of working with Guillermo del Toro um, I can never pronounce his name properly because I have a disabled mouth apparently <laughs> um, so forgive me if I mispronounce everybody's names uh, as well as that we've got um, Lenore Valera um, as the female lead Nessa Nisa um, uh, Luke Goss from Ross uh, joining as the sort of lead antagonist um, and a few other people including some other will, others we'll mention along the way there's, there's a quite an interesting cast for this one um, but uh, returning from the previous film uh, most notably uh, Wesley Snipes obviously Jamie um, Blade and uh, Chris Christopherson uh, who was Blade's mentor in the first game? Who famously killed himself in the first game, uh, film? Game? Did I say game? Game. <laughs> you know what I mean. So um, the other notable thing is that uh, uh, Dr. Karen Jensen, the character from the first film, doesn't make a return in this. Um, but and she isn't mentioned at all. We we see some back flashbacks over the course of the film. No shots of her at all. No mention that she ever existed. Um, not vital to the film, but an interesting note anyway. Uh, once again, the film is released by New Line Cinema, but this time around, um, they just distributed. It was actually a collaboration between Marvel Enterprises, which is the umbrella company for what is everything Marvel, essentially, these days. So they... they um, section of Marvel that dealt with this were the ones that dealt with the licensing and um, third party things like who would be responsible for those original Sony and Fox deals, things like that but not quite so directly responsible for what would become Marvel Studios um, and would be the big juggernaut of Marvel films that are coming out now um, obviously we now know that there is a Blade film that was announced just after we did the first episode. How ironic that was, eh? Yeah, well, it was perfect timing for us. Um, and it, it is under the umbrella of Marvel Studios now because they retained or regained the rights to Blade as a character to use in their own productions. Um, no way he's not with Blade, though. Disappointing. <laughs> no, no, well, he may make a sort of a weird appearance or something, just as a nod. You never know. If if um, the original uh, J. Jonah Jameson could make a comeback <laughs> in a completely different universe, you never know what's possible. Um, 
But uh, aside from that, it's a collaboration from between Marvel Enterprises, uh, Amon Ra Films, and Imaginary Forces. Um, uh, in the time between Blade and Blade Two, uh, New Line Cinema released a couple of notable films, uh, including Rush Hour, American History X. I've watched. I've never watched American History X. No, you never seen that. No, watch Rush Hour. Then. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm not surprised. Uh, Magnolia, uh, Final Destination, and a little film called Lord of the Rings: Fellowship of the Ring. A little, a little film. Yeah, one of that little. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, it, it did quite well at the time. Um, second fam- uh, Blade film, like I say, released on the 29th of March 2002 in the UK. It's did a total box office, uh, from what I can tell, of 155 million. United States dollars, which is about thirty million more than the first film. Yeah. I don't know offhand what the cost was for it, so I think it still did a profit, but uh, you know it's, it was a bit bigger this time round. Um, by the looks of production value and the cast, you know the, the far more known or people who would become more known, but there was still more well-known names on this production. Um, uh, notes of Guillermo del Toro uh, Guillermo Guillermo can you say it? Guillermo del Toro yeah thanks um, you can say it from now on I'll point at you and you can just say that <laughs> even if I'm not saying his name uh, he, before this his uh, uh, directing credits were just the three films which were Kronos in 1993 uh, Mimic in 1997 and The Devil's Backbone in 2001 um, and based on the pattern of films that were coming out he was hopping back and forth with Blade 2 and then um, the next film in in his production schedule it, it seems that he, he's doing this pattern of hopping back and forth between his own independent productions and then big studio productions like Mimic and Blade 2 and um uh, the name escapes me of the one with the monsters, the the big monsters and the robots. Big monsters and robots. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't know. I don't oh, know. Crap, crap. It can't be Pacific Rim, though. Pacific Rim. Yeah. Is it Pacific Rim? Yeah, he directed Pacific Rim. That's what. I don't know why it was on the tip of my tongue. But. So, um, yeah, that was his next, one of his next big films. Um. That's a, that's a long departure. That's a long gap, though. Uh, well, I think there may have been one other one between there, because he did the Hellboy films as well, and I think those were on a sort of cycle oh, as well. But that's the they're slightly different. They're semi passion projects, but they're still for a big studio. Um, David S. Goya returned from the first film's production to write the film. Um, he didn't want to at first, but he kind of was won over by money. Director money, yeah. In the time between Blade and Blade 2, David directed and wrote Zigzag, his only work in that time period, only film work. Um, It's a 2002 American drama film starring John Leguizamo, uh, Oliver Platt, Oliver Platt, that's it. Uh, Natasha, oh god, I'm losing all the voices. (laughs) Natasha Leone. And Wesley Snipes. Oh, the man with the legend. So, so there's, there's all these different 
people keep working with each other you know how, how people do um once again the universe is still taking place in what marvel could consider or the marvel fans consider earth 26320 and for reference point marvel's main universe in the comics is 616 if you ever watch any marvel sort of television shows or, or films sometimes the, the number 616 comes up as a sort of nod um mostly in agents of shield but you'll see it in other places um so the general sequence of events um sources note that blade 2 takes place in 1999 um we originally set blade 1 in two, uh, in 1998 based on the release date because we didn't have a date to work with for that film's events so we just based it around when it was released yeah. uh, using the logic that it was set released and then it's happening now sort of thing um but um there is one piece of evidence not concrete that sets this film in uh play 2 in 1999 so retroactively i've gone back and reduced everything that happens in blade 1 back by exactly a year the dates are the same but it's 97 instead of 98 um that won't really come up not yet um but we will go over the full film timeline. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a few uh, stars in here who are joining Wesley Snipes. And uh, uh, Norman Reedus is playing a character called Scud. Now, Norman Mark Reedus was born on January 6th, 1969. He's an American actor, voice actor, television host and model. Uh, most uh, Known mostly for being a long-serving member of the cast of The Walking Dead TV adaptation, along with playing a central role in Death Stranding, um, with whom Delta also stars and previously worked with the director in his first major film debut in Mimic. I've seen Mimic. So you should watch Mimic. It's all right. It's an interesting film. It's about giant cockroaches. Oh, <laughs> It's, it's, it's a really sort of gothic sort of mm. horror sort of feel to it though um, Ron Perlman uh, is playing a character called Reinhardt not the Overwatch character <laughs> oh. uh, Ronald Francis Perlman was born on April 13th 1950 he's an American actor and voice actor and he's well known for a long running collaborator with Del Toro having worked with him both on the Hellboy films are being in Kronos and Pacific Rim. He's also well known for being the narrator for the uh, series of games in uh, several of the games in the Fallout series, along with voicing Clayface in the DC animated universe and oh. other characters. He also, I think, voiced Slade in Teen Titans, but he tends tends to be Clayface more than anyone because he's got that gravelly deep voice. He was also the lead actor in Beauty and the Beast the sort of modern day retelling of that as a TV series with Linda Hamilton as Beauty the Beauty sort of character he, he's like a sort of a lion man oh. so he's in lots of prosthesis and oh. it's interesting After you've ever um, it was very 80s but it's an interesting sort of gothic sort of show as well um, as well as those guys there's uh, uh, Leonor Valera uh, uh, as Nissa de Mesquilos. Uh, I think the Meskinos uh, something like that something like that <laughs> I can barely read my writing uh, born September 29th 1972 
she's a Chilean actress and model. Uh, notable roles include the title role in the 1999 television film Cleopatra. It's probably an American television film. I was going to say I've never seen that film. Well, actually, I've um, seen it. You Maybe. may have. You may have. Maybe. Uh, Luke Gross is Jared Nomak, which I like because his name's Jared. Um, because what what sort of an average name is that for a vampire monster? Oi, Jared. Oh, Jared, come here, mate. Uh, um, and along with him, there's another character called Eli, which is even more inappropriate, but it's funny. Uh, I think that's more religious, though, isn't yeah. it? Um, uh, Luke Damon Goss was born on 29th of September 1968. He's an actor and the drummer of 1980s band Goss. Um, he would work again with Del Toro in Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, as Prince uh, Nuada, as well as making appearances in the Tekken movie in 2009 as Steve Fox. I never watched that film. <laughs> um, and he was in Interview with a Hitman as the character Victor. Um, uh, I'm going to get this name wrong. Thomas Triscalman is Eli Damascus. Uh, Thomas was born on the 8th of September 1962 as a German actor. Most people will recognise him as Baron Wolfgang von Strucker from the Marvel series films Captain America Winter Soldier and Avengers Age of Ultron. He's very briefly in those films, but he's a really central Marvel character. Gets killed off in Age of Ultron. He's the one who is wearing the monocle who creates the twins at the end of Captain America. Um, and in the beginning of Age of Ultron he's like um, we won't surrender and then he just turns to his cohort and he's like I'm going to surrender <laughs> he's that guy uh, Danny John Jules the uh, the effervescent Jan- Danny John Jules is sad uh, Danny John Jules was born 16th of September 1960 he's a British actor singer and dancer most easily recognised as playing the cat in sci-fi comedy series Red Dwarf and Great policeman Dwayne Myers in the crime drama Death in Paradise and you notice in this film he's playing a vampire so he's just got his cat teeth in still I did think I did think I recognised he's probably guy. just got his cat like, teeth you know big looked, teeth it looked a bit beefier though it, well it's more like they've put him yeah. in the sort of skin tight yeah. slender stuff but he's a dancer so it makes sense they've cast yeah. him in that sort of interesting Especially the first scene you see him in. Um, other notable people are Donnie Yen as Snowman. Um, uh, known as a Hong Kong actor, martial artist, film director, producer, action choreographer, stuntman, a multiple-time world wushu tournament champion. He played Win Chun Grandmaster Ip Man in the 2008 film Ip Man. Um, also for playing... I'm going to get this one wrong, but it's a bloody Star Wars name. Chuat Inwe in Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. He's the blind sort of oh, monk yeah. character um, who's in touch with the Force, you know. And he's in loads of stuff and he's amazing. And uh, other noticeable actor is Tony Curran as Priest. He's born on the 13th of December 1969. He also appeared in Underworld Evolution, Doctor Who as Vincent van Gogh and the Invisible Man in the film adaptation of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen oh. but he he kind of changes his accent a bit in that one So you, and he's invisible so <laughs> you don't know it's him 
but um, yeah, he's recognisable. He's been in loads of stuff over the years, but you know, those are the most notable stuff. Um, I think that's everything for our basic starting timeline. So let's get into the sequence of events as they're presented to us. So, uh, what did you expect from Blade? Do you remember when you first saw it? How much of it did you retain before you saw it? I think I've only seen Blade 2 once in my entire life. Because I remember none of the stuff from Blade 2. It was my first time watching it this past week. Really? Yeah, I'd never seen it before. I've seen the first and third ones. I've seen seen it watch the first and third one a lot more. The second one, I remember nothing about it. It was interesting. It's not bad or anything. It's not bad. It's not good. You've seen it somewhere in the middle. It's considered slightly better than the first film, but when you look at ratings now, especially by proper standards now, um, it's not very high up there on places like Rotten Tomatoes. It's getting 56, 52 for the first Blade. That sort of percentage. The first Blade's better than I prefer the first Blade. Um, They both have their problems, I think. I think the first one's a bit more simpler. It gives you a lot more backstory. Yeah, which I think I like. This one is so frozen. Well, yeah, it, it, to an extent, it's, I think it expects you to know a little bit more about the previous film and then hit the ground running sort of thing. Um, also, kind of, there are bits in it that don't make sense. And we'll get to these <laughs> things. We'll get to these things. So, Blade 2. Opening. We get the New Line logo and then date and time unknown. We open... On tram 52, rolling down the street somewhere in Prague, the Czech Republic, man is about to cross over the road to the Pritska blood bank, which is open till late, it seems, because it's definitely <laughs> night time. Um, <laughs> definitely not a vampire bank. So based on what I'm, I'm looking at when it comes to Prague and tram service, which is the only thing I can go on, um, the Prague Tramway Network is the largest in the Czech Republic, consisting of 142.4 kilometres, or 88.5 miles of track, uh, 931 trams, 25 dayline route, uh, daytime routes, and 9 nighttime routes. The night trams operate from 2400 to 430. So if this is a night tram, it's operating between 11 and 430 in the morning. And run every 30 minutes, so it's not super regular, regular enough. Today there is no number 25 that runs at night. Instead, the service covered at night is numbers 51 to 59. No. So this either is one of the late trams from the day service, or they got their numbers wrong. Um, it could be winter time. But if we're, we're basing it on logic and it's night, it's sort of winter time. Although the one date I've got to work from, which we'll get to later. Um, wouldn't put it quite winter, oh. autumn, maybe. Um, although it's hard to tell with the times of the year and the time zones, and it's too many things to work around. Um, but they, we're in Czech Republic, so that's something to work from. Our stranger walks in. <laughs> our stranger walks in <laughs> and takes a ticket to wait. Our cats wander around. People mill about. 
He sits next to the first character, primary antagonist of the film, Luke Gross, or Jared. According to all sources, Jared appears in Blade 2 and Blade 2 only, and makes no appearances in comics or even side media. Um, even comics based around Blade films don't feature his character again. Oh. Um, he asks his new company if it's the first time he's given blood, and he's super excited to tell his friend that they will even take blood for cash, <laughs> even, apparently, in used jam jars. Oh. <laughs> www.bloodforcash.com um, that's a bit odd, isn't it? I laughed Even at that vampires, point. It's like used jam jar or pickle jar, probably. Of uh, I, I know that sauerkraut and stuff like that's pretty big, isn't it? You know, Eastern Europe. Yeah. So it's probably a sauerkraut jar. We f- we see the first hints of flies buzzing all around as uh, a bug zapper, as a smartly dressed woman comes over and takes Jared away for his donation. She leads him into a room with a doctor, passing a glyph like. Those we see in the first film on the wall as she does, um, giving us our first hint this is vampire run territory, aside from the blood stuff. Blood they feel on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, they pass a room with blood just being swept up and he's he's he no sells it. Uh, apparently they find some unusual results from his blood. His blood contains a rare phenotype. Or Okay, so th- so th- that sentence is a little at odds, but um so a phenotype is an observable trait. Uh, genes carry instructions and the result of our body following these instructions, making a pigment in our eyes, is a phenotypic trait. So the eye colour is the trait. So different phenotypes would be different types of blood. So it's not that the blood contains a different phenotype, it's that this blood is a different phenotype, but the sentencing is a bit weird. Uh, the different types of blood would be from rarest to most common AB negative at 0.6% of the population uh, B negative at 1.5% of the population AB positive at 3.4% of the population A negative at 6.3% of the population O negative at 6.6% uh, B positive at 8.5% uh, a positive at 35.7% and the most popular blood type is 0 or O positive at 37.4% of That's what I have. Yeah, you're <laughs> average. Average, <laughs> then, but that's what we're going to call you from now on. Good. <laughs> if I need a blood transfusion, these are those <laughs> the most <laughs> common. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a slightly rare one, I think, but I'm not sure exactly which one. Uh, the room Jared is led into has two burners in the back with what appears to be human remains burning in. They just don't cover it up. Somebody walking in the door sees it. They're still trying to play the ruse. But they'll just keep coming. It's fine. Ignore them. Um, The doctor, quote-unquote, tells Jared that it's a good news and bad news situation. Good news for them. Apparently his his blood is one nobody's ever seen before. It's important to state his is the most rare blood on the planet. Which, when you know you think about it, is stupid. Because it seems like they will kill Jared and just take all the blood in one go now. And well, if his blood is that one of a kind, wouldn't you want to keep it going for a while? And study him as well. Like, like, you'd just hook him up to a drip and keep the blood going for for years if you could. No, we're just going to drain him all in one go. You could see their manager, their supervisor coming in and being like, So excited. What have you done? (laughs) Why have you taken this guy and killed him he's got the most rare blood in the world with vampires you're idiots 
I wonder if it tastes different, if it's a different blood type. <laughs> like spicy flavour or something. Exotic. <laughs> Exotic blood. <laughs> anyway, the doctor pops in on uh, pops a Freddy Krueger-like handpiece on his left hand. Uh, instead of blades, it's finger needles for some reason. You just think a normal needle would do I the job. I don't understand that, why he did that. Yeah, it, just, <laughs> it just looks cool. It's, yeah. a, it's a Del Toro sort of look, so having apparatus like that. And, you know. I'm like, what purpose does that serve? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a bit of a fun really. <laughs> After some time acting scared, Jared starts to chuckle before swiftly assorting the lady who led him into the theatre, sucking her blood back to the camera as and red viscous liquid splashes into the wall. That's wrestling terms for you. <laughs> red. Oh no, he's been covered in red viscous <laughs> liquid. <laughs> um, the the goofy mall cops guarding them pulls out a gun and unloads into Jared's back, to no effect. Before Jared tosses him into a wall, smashing the tiles with his impact. The vampire doctor, the only confirmed vampire in the scene, makes a run for it, but Jared catches up to him before talking to the security camera by the door in an unconfirmed language I couldn't recognise it offhand no. um, and telling those watching that he hates vampires he then gives the vampire a tentacle tongue snogged off uh, off of camera as the scene fades to black out, and uh, our credits begin so what did you think of the pre-credits scene? it's alright there's a bit of scene setting. A bit of anything, scene setting. Anything interesting about the characters? You don't know. Let's pretend we don't know anything about them. Obviously, I'd never seen it before. You can't remember anything about no. the film. I did think he had a weird scar on his face. I'm like, why has he got that scar for? Mm. When he's like, lip lip down to his jaw. It does look like an interesting sort of... Yeah. Could be just a cool a piercing thing or equivalent of that. You know, people get all sorts of weird scars deliberately put on them now. Not yeah. in the tattoo sense, but like branding and things like that. Um... And any other, anything else? Any other thoughts? That this guy is, I just think this guy's bad for vampires. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously he kills vampires. That's what you get from well, that scene. Feeds on them. I guess, I guess feeds well, on them. And we don't know that the ones he's bite, the one woman he bit was a vampire. And you don't see him feed on the actual vampire. But. I guess. Yeah. Well, it seems he's after vampires. Yeah, he does, yeah. It, we know he doesn't like him because he says so. Right. Credits. Red text. Outdated techno music. Monologue from Blade. We see shots from the first film and a montage of Blade gearing up. Actually, we could call this techno spy music. It's kind of like Bond music to an extent. It's got them sort of saxophony, trumpety wind instruments playing over it. It's like Vampire Bond or something. We get confirmation that Blade took place two years ago. Apparently, Whistler, who dies in Blade 1, was taken at some point after shooting himself. And now maybe he's a vampire and Blade is hunting him. Which makes it sound like he's the film's bad guy. Or at least that's what the mon monologue implies. Like, yeah. I'm hunting him. And if anybody gets in my way, so it sounds like he's like out there causing mischief. And then, title card. <laughs> Day one, date time unknown. We cut to three men running down a dark alleyway, or what looks like a dark alleyway, quickly followed by Blade on the hunt. He rounds a corner, wildly shooting left and right with a minigun, taking out two vampires. 
We got a first look at the returning ropey vampire dusting effect established in the first film. They haven't changed it very much. It's a little bit different. It it's more hot. Or I think because it's now so now it looks this hot. I'm like it looks oh. even worse than before. <laughs> um, and it's not super improved. It's the worst. It's not the worst CGI in the film. But, but what happens to the dust as well? Because it seems to the dust is kind of like weird sort of. Like, yeah, but you see on the floor though. Is this gone? I'm like oh yeah. yeah. Uh, several vampires turn a corner. Blade hopping onto a metal supports above them and taking two by surprise, hitting one in the head and one in the chest. Out on the balcony, or fire escape, the remaining vampires bemoan their fate, sliding nine stories or so down the metal ladder and attempting to escape on motorcycles. A Bill Bailey looking vampire with a, leather, uh, with a feather boa on rides off on a red bike as the third vampire burns his hands attempting to slide down the ladder falling halfway and crashing to the ground with a thud. Blade runs out through the same door, leaps from the fire escape, and after a brief moment as a CGI effect, spins and lands on his ground, completely unfazed by the fall. <laughs> Why is he able to do this when the vampires whose powers he shares still do feel the effects of gravity is beyond me? It's Blade, that's all. <laughs> just inexcusable, <laughs> just, just can. This superhero stuff. As he lands, a Matrix-like bullet shot takes out the th unlucky third. It's definitely deliberately sort of aping the Matrix sort of feel at that point. Because the Matrix had come out and done well. And they're like, oh, we're going to take that back for us. Um, uh, the vamp disintegrating with some truly wonderful special effects. Blade has parked his car in the alleyway. The remaining two, unable to escape, turn around and decide to run directly at Blade on their bikes. After a neck crack, Blades makes an unsuccessful throwing blade attack before leaping over Bill Bailey and using the throwing blade to take out his bike's wheels. He le then leaps into the air, turns this into a CGI effect again and lands on the second vampire's bike before garroting him and causing him to dust. Quickly steaming the... Steaming? Why did I write steaming? <laughs> Quickly uh, landing on the bike after he's vanished and stopping it next to his car. And go, and giving it a, yeah a kiss for somebody <laughs> blowing his car a kiss like, okay you parked it there I mean fair enough. I mean people like their cars, not my not my place to question. No. You ever blown a car a kiss? Then? No, I don't think I ever will either. <laughs> <laughs> there are people who do worse things to cars. Oh yeah. Anyway, enough about them. <laughs> Blade approaches Bill Bailey vampire as he begs off, telling Blade, clearly, no. I don't know where they keep him. To which Blade says, just tell me where he is and I'll consider you a loose end. Please, I don't know, he responds. This is not how real conversations work. Of course. Like, he's clearly <laughs> told you he doesn't know. You don't immediately tell him, well, where is he? But Blade knows he, he knows. Know. <laughs> I know he knows he knows, but this doesn't... Uh. Anyway, after a bit of bike-based torture... Bill agrees to take Blade to him. Got to a man doing blood cocaine? Something like that. I was like, like sherbet, red sherbet, cocaine. I'm like, sure. I'm sure they do cocaine as well. Does coke even work on vampires? Probably not. Who knows? <laughs> uh, anyway, a bang at the warehouse door is met with Bill greeting our new vamps through the door before being followed by shots that take the doorman out through the doorway. Blade enters, grasping Bill as a human shield. 
He begs them not to shoot. They do anyway, and he quickly takes out the bulk of the room with a few stray shots. Blade has a quick fist slash gunfight with a vampire uh, before a quick shot to the belly dusts him. He then pulls out two short daggers and poses for no reason. <laughs> Quickly, another vampire leaps from above, screaming, letting out that he's attacking and causing him to get dusted quite quickly. It's like, why give yourself away? <laughs> like, he didn't know you were there. Four more vampires attempt to run up on Blade with weapons, but he beats them swiftly. We're going to go back on that one. One with a quick stake to the balls. That makes more sense now. Quick <laughs> He does. He, he ducks down and stakes yeah. one in the in the nuts. He then lets Bill Bailey go before walking up uh, to a blood-filled tank holding a body. It's Vampire Whistler, taking a nice nap. Blade cuts him loose and takes him home. Well, that didn't take long, did it? No. Credits. Credits. That's it. Yep. Bam. Film over. Blade over. Uh, does, so so Whistler's back again. I guess it's like a comic book they had to bring him back. I don't know why. Like this is They didn't bring other characters back. I guess not. I don't know and why. This film, this film, its ending is so absolute that like nobody survives. Or nobody can come back for another film. I just don't understand why they need to bring wish it back like this. Like I can understand he's a vampire. Yeah, it's weird. Like why make him a vampire? Why either kill him off in the first film, don't bring him back. Bring him back as a vampire and have him actually be like some sort of threat. Yes, and have Blade be conflicted, like with working with a vampire. Yeah, knowing that he's killed him all his life. But I guess, or or, or just <laughs> have the the him finding him be a challenge and then taking him back to home base. You know, I don't know. It seems a bit odd, but they wanted him back, so they got him back. He's a good actor. He's a good cat as well. Yeah, uh, got the shots of Blade driving at night. He's, he rolls up on another warehouse and look who it is dangling from the roof. Yeah. It's none other than Norman Reedus tinkering with things and listening to hip-hop. Yep. And watching Powerpuff Girls. Oh, wait. Was that a bit too... Getting much? ahead of ourselves. <laughs> he, he he is Blade's new partner and calls him the Dark Knight. Does he call him the Dark Knight? He calls him the Dark Knight. Lock up your, lock up your sisters, boys and girls or something like that. And then the Dark Knight has returned. Oh, yeah. I think something I along those lines. As he drops to greet him, he lights up a very thin, very long joint and offers it to Blade. Blade takes Whistler from the boot of his car and pops him in a special room. Blade pops Whistler, uh, props Whistler up on a stool and gives him an injection, what he calls a retroviral detox, to get him clean in 24 hours. Now, that's something to remember. He says it's going to take about 24 hours, or a day. He then sort of quietly warns him that whether he's healthy or not, he's going to okay. open the blinds in the morning. Uh, norm and that might be a colloquialism. Who knows what time it is, how long he means by morning. Um, Norman doesn't think it will work, but Blade locks him away and waits. <coughs> Norman, Norman is playing Joshua, a.k.a. Scud, as we mentioned earlier. This film is his one and only appearance in the universe. Uh, Scud is wearing a BPRD t-shirt the logo and acronym stand for the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defence this is the organisation Hellboy belongs to and this film was made before Detelro made Hellboy oh 
It's his fourth shot. He's like, oh, they're making Hellboy next. <laughs> maybe he's quietly hinting that he's already got the job. Maybe he's trying to, you know, ask people for the job because he wants to make Hellboy because it was a passion project as far as I remember. But it's interesting. Oh. It's an interesting little nugget there. Blade heads up to his room and opens a wooden box. In it is a gun wrapped in a luxury cloth. Little red cloth. Oh, that's, that's, that's like that's so, a bit over the top. It's a weird <laughs> thing to do. It gets weirder. <laughs> For some reason, Blade then moves round to a totally different spot and sits with his legs as wide open as possible while holding the gun and having flashbacks to the first film. That's okay. It's just time feeling, I suppose. We see Whistler's original death scene. Blade walking away as Whistler shoots himself off screen. This was the gun. So Blade kept it as an odd keepsake for some reason. Hashtag why? Sentimental. Maybe it's, it's... a weirdly sentimental thing. <laughs> oh, I'm so sentimental about this gun that killed my mate. <laughs> Although he's not dead. Because I know he's been dead. Or he, might, he doesn't even know if he's dead or not. Or if he's a vampire or not. He's just assuming all this. I mean, he was right. But still. So he did... <laughs> It's just a weird thing. It is a bit. <laughs> anyway. It's quickly next morning. Uh, I thought this was supposed to take 24 hours. Has it been a day or a few hours? Oh, I guess maybe a few hours, but... Blade walks into Whistler's cell, gun in hand, because that's why he's got the gun. He's got it to shoot him again if he needs to. At least that's what it's implied. Uh, he opens the blinds and asks Whistler how he feels. Whistler simply says like hammered shit <laughs> which causes Blade to give a little smirk well there's that Whistler is okay credits credits Whistler's fine he's back alive credits again except not Blade tells a shockingly buff looking Whistler he's looking quite toned he's, you see him washing himself and he's like yeah for someone's been locked away for three years and who's as old <laughs> as he is the actor's looking quite you know, he's not super old or anything. But, um, he tells him how he found him. He started in Moscow. Now, as you mentioned earlier, and you are right, the last film ended in Moscow, in Red Square. Yeah. So we know that that last film is him starting to look for Whistler. Okay. So he, at that point, that's the canon. He's looking for Whistler at that point. He tracked him to Romania, and it's not clear yet where they are based now. Over the course of the film, you figure out that they're in the Czech Republic as well. But this raises a few questions. Um, so you would assume, based on how Whistler behaves, that this is their main base of operations. And that should be in LA, because um, Whistler walks over to a set of scales reaches behind and takes what is assumed to be his wedding ring yeah that. and puts it back on so why would Whistler know where it was hidden and why would it be hidden in the Czech Republic so it must be hidden somewhere where they always are which is more likely to be America or with whatever. the first place yeah um, but in the first film they say they move around a lot so either he's got several bases that are set bases where he's keeping different wedding rings. <laughs> he's got one in his face. Or they, for some reason, have a, their main base in the Czech Republic as well. Maybe it's because they knew that's where the main vampires were. Who knows? It's, an, it's a weird well, aside. Well, the scouts just move around with them. Yeah, but who's going <laughs> to... 
<laughs> this travelling vampire hunter. Oh, we must remember to take the scales. I want to weigh myself religiously. You know, it's it's just kind of goofy. Well, he's got his ring back. Um, and like the other question is, why did he take it off and hide it there in the first place? He didn't know he was going to be attacked by vampires. So either he's always hiding it, in which case, why put it back on now? I don't understand that ring part. It's kind of weird. Anyway, he's getting back into his rhythm. He's got his ring back on. So, uh, where are we? We find, uh, uh, what was his name? Norman Reedus' character. Spud. Spud. Is it Spud? Scud. 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 Not Spud. Scud. Spud. Scud. Spud. We find Scud welding the engine to Blade's car and lighting a joint with his arc welder. He takes a, a break to watch the Powerpuff Girls before Whistler complains about the modifications he's making to Blade's car. Note. This is the most important moment in both films' history so far. The Powerpuff Girls is an American superhero animated TV series created by anima Craig McCracken for Cartoon Network. The series made its official debut as a cartoon cartoon on November 18, 1998, with the final episode airing on March 25, 2005, which places this film's events between those dates, or at least starting from the beginning of the series. The episode we see showing here is Down and Dirty, originally screened on September the 10th, 1999, which is, gives us a good idea of the exact date of the film's showing um, on or par, post September 10th, 1999. So the TV screen he's watching it on is, doesn't seem to have a recorder. But then again, it, doesn't it seem, might or might not do. But there's no subtitles either. So the high's watching that because it was in the Czech Republic. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but, you know, it's not like the Czech Republic would let's put subtitles on. Maybe they're doing a dubbed version over there. Maybe. It's not got sound. Oh, it no, doesn't no. seem to. Um, so, we are tentatively dating Blade 2 this day as September 10th, 1999. Which means everything else that happened before was September 9th, September whatever. Um, so when we get round to the proper final timeline, you'll see what's going on. So everything in Blade 1 now officially, according to our timeline, happens in 1997. Okay. Because it's been two years yeah. since Whistler was taken. Um, that's the only date we were given as a sort of gap of time. Uh, if this is set the same date as the air date of this episode, takes place on that day. It also takes place two days after the launch of the Sega Dreamcast in America. Oh, a Dreamcast. Very, this one interesting date that was around that week. After an argument between uh, Stud, or oh, Scud? Scud. God knows. <laughs> Scud and Whistler, the parameters' uh, alarms are tripped. Vampires, two, attack. Ninja vampires. Yes. Whistler grabs a machine gun before uh, Scud can protest Whistler smacks him in the head with the handle we pan up to see two figures swinging through the rafters like ninja scuba divers they drop down and are shot, by, shot at by Whistler who misses every single shot while they flip and dance around Scud breaks down as one of the figures snatches Whistler's gun 
cool outfit he just says um, backs down should I say not breaks down he's not sobbing or anything he's just like backing off and saying oh that's a cool outfit and it's the outfits where we start to see some of the del Toro visual sort of design come through the eyes and sort of goggles zoom in and out it's very like some of the characters he has um, you see that almost that same look recreated in uh, Hellboy oh, for for Abe Sapien's yeah. sort of look as well. I did think that. That's what I was like. Oh, yeah, he got hints that. of that. He's, yeah. He does a lot of his own visual design. So um, Blade rushes around and quickly tells Scud to turn on the guard lights. We are next treated to a mostly well choreographed sword fight between one attacker and Blade. They beat each other to a stalemate. This fight would be great if it lost all of the needless CGI Blade. Because it kind of goes in the between. The jumping is horrible. Yeah, it looks really. <laughs> it's like the character models look kind of passable, but it's the animation yeah, that's looks... the problem. So it goes from obvious human animation to really bad, not very well animated sort of animation. It's not really for evil. They could have literally just kept on the ground. Normal human <laughs> beings. Or just cut out all those bits yeah. and. I don't know. Um, there's no reason to have all the flipping. I understand they're trying to make him look like superhero sort of characters. And in later scenes, it's more justifiable. But in this fight, in front of the big blights, it just looks really bad. It's probably one of the better fi- fights in the film, though, when it comes to actual yeah. fight fight choreography. Maybe even the best one. The male invader quickly removes your mask after telling Nessa to put her sword away. Um, which he could have done way before then. Okay. He says that they attacked first, which they did. Before revealing himself to be, well, Stone the Crows, it's Cat from Red Dwarf. (laughs) And a fine choice of role here, with the Cat's history as a dancer. Apparently, the rulers of the Vampire Nation are offering a truce and would like to meet with Blade. He introduces Nyssa, Blade's not-female love interest, although early scripts did have a sex scene between the two of them. Did they? Yeah. Uh, but uh, more respect interest oh. is more what I'd call it um, for the second film in a row the Blade series introduces a female character and lead that's treated as an equal or equally as powerful in her own right to Blade yeah. which is quite impressive actually for like the late 90s and for this sort of film yeah. genre and, you know you, you, wouldn't th- you wouldn't think it going back but yeah it's interesting um Apparently there's something worse than Blade on the street and the vampires need help. <laughs> now, what do you think? This this return of, of Whistler, he's human quite quickly. For some reason, his legs still hurt. I thought I understand because if he was a vampire, he would have been technically yeah, cured from it. Yeah, I don't know what the rules are. But did, what did he say? They could have fixed my leg. Was that, I think? Yeah, the, the bastards uh, didn't fix my leg. <laughs> so what do you want him to have done? <laughs> we're, we're torturing him. I'll just quickly break <laughs> his leg, fix his leg for him. I'll torture him again. Um... But they kept torturing him, and then he was in a in suspensive okay. tanks yeah. to heal him up, so they could torture him again later. I don't know what the goal was, but you know, <laughs> find out if about Blade where to find him. Yeah, um, ninja vampires as well. They're quite cool, actually. The way they the way yeah. that I saw when they're coming in, like the acrobatic ones, yeah, like just yeah, jumping like Cirque du Soleil yeah. sort of stuff. Um, and I I suspect half of that CGI half of it isn't. Some of the motions really unnatural, yeah. overly flowy, but the swinging feels like it's real so I suspect they just got acrobats in hence why the full body sort of thing I've seen Whistle and Spud go out a bit but you see a Spud. lot of, Spud <laughs> you see a lot of in this film 
They go, it's all quite a lot. It's that little digs there, isn't it? It's little digs there, isn't it? We return to the film, we find Blade in a helicopter with vampires and his pals Whistler and Scud and a coat full of explosives. <laughs> Apparently, Blade's big plan is to blow himself and his fellow human friends up if something goes wrong, which is of note wouldn't kill the vampires. <laughs> it would just kill them. But, okay. Uh, they land at a vampire pyramid mansion. It's always got to be a pyramid mansion, isn't it? Yeah. God, oh, fucking pyramid mansions. I've had nothing. Uh, outside of town, and walk in to meet the vampire lord, Eli Damascus. Or Damascus, or whatever. So his name is Eli. And he's the vampire lord, Eli. He, uh, this is also his one and only Blade Universal Marvel, Marvel Universe appearance as a character. The actors, like I say... Uh, another character later. Uh, the vampires and their human lawyer friend, uh, Carol, or Karen, is like something like that. Something like that. Uh, Karen think, uh, thank Blade for killing Deacon Frost when the only direct <laughs> reference to the first film, yeah. uh, as he would have been a bit of a problem. And he helps confirm that we're now in Europe for sure. Um, probably again the Czech Republic, because he's like the minister for health and. Uh, like medicine or something yeah. as well as a lawyer uh, for Europe he's got a lot of job pools well you know that's what that's <laughs> how vampires work they get in power don't they or they use people in power Eli explains to Blade how the vampire virus works which Blade immediately proves he doesn't understand by comparing it to cancer <laughs> <laughs> before Eli explains why the vampire uh, brought him here Apparently the vampire virus has evolved and the reaper virus uh, turns normal vampires into further mutated vampire types. Uh, highly addicted to feeding specifically on vampires and changing all those infects into more of the reapers. Um, uh, they've got dozens of reapers at this point but by the end of the week there could be hundreds. Um, this point the reapers are compared to junkies and we see the film more or less attempting something of a social commentary on the beginnings, uh, the differences between the 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 pure blood vampires at the top of the sort of food chain or the top of the social hierarchy, and then the 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 reapers as considered sort of more of a vermin yeah. or a problem. And you see a lot of that with the the clothing that Jared wears. He's like he's living on the streets. He's like sleeping rough sort of clothes. Um, we see patient zero, Jared, from the scene earlier on a laptop in a, a shot from what is supposed to be a security camera, I suppose, but is impossible to have taken place. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that when films do that, like they get film footage. It's just from the film. And it's like, where, where was that camera in the scene? I don't remember that. Magical cameras. Um, unlike the rest of the Reapers, he was apparently born as what he is. A lot like Blade, um, and the, the the pure bloods are born as well, which raises a question: How did he get to be so old without infecting so many people before now? <laughs> he sounds like a new threat, and he's clearly a fully grown adult. So, you know what's happened there? Um, that raises questions. 
They tell Blade that in the wake of Blade's first film's events, the vampires have been training special ops teams of vampires to hunt and kill Blade, but now they want him to lead them. Back at home base, the guys discuss what the vampires want, and Blade says that it will go along with it to see how everything plays out. Scud, though, is more worried about Whistler and warns Blade to watch him. I wonder why. Bud. Yeah. Scud. Bud. <laughs> Snud. <laughs> um, good old Bud. So vampires is virus. I was like, oh, I guess it could be. Makes some sense. Makes some sense. Doesn't really make much sense, but. <laughs> <laughs> more sense than cancer. More sense than cancer. Which you think they would know more about vampirism because in the first film, that entire doctor thing, where she's trying to cure vampirism, and he oh, sort yeah. of talks to him like... You Cancer can be in the blood, yeah. but it's not quite... It's not. But you uh, think you know a bit more about yeah, that sort of... Yeah. <laughs> um, and Vampire Lords, what do you think of that whole scene? Whole setup, the whole quite like Vampire Lords. Uh, quite like. He's, he's well set up. Yeah. He's got a good look, but you can see that's yeah. more of the Del Toro sort of visual design. You can tell it's quite old as well. Always, yeah. Like, you can tell he's been... He's been... Yeah, he's not getting no hair on his chest uh. anymore. I love how vampires always end up with those sort of weird frail sort of looking things. So was he like that? Or was he... Was he, bo- he probably, I don't know she's that... quite healthy looking. Yeah. Do uh, vampires age in his universe? I don't know. I mean, in the sense that he becomes more white and more weird. Yeah, but you know some vampire universes, vampires don't age at all. They stay... So I don't know how... I don't know Maybe in this universe. They, they all age, but very, very slowly. Yeah. Like, and so they become more sort of fantastical. Mm. Um, I don't know. So day two, day three already, actually. I think it's day three. Anyway, so we date, date and time is probably September 13th, 1999. But we're not 100% on that just yet. Uh, day three, night three, slash night three. Once again, we're in Prague and a young woman, young man sells drugs to a lady before being called over, to, uh, over the road underneath <laughs> the bridge by Jared. Just this man with a sort of crusty looking face just calls you over and like sure sure I'll come over and give you some drugs um, he quickly attacks and feeds on him before several more reapers attack we cut blade, quickly to blade giving himself a shot before Nessa walks in uh, on him unannounced and she lets him know that they are ready blade heads out and the cat introduces blade to the blood pack there's the hulking light hammer who literally uses a hammer. Um, uh, Varlane, who originally in the script was supposed to be the sister of the first film's lead villain. The, the girl oh. villain. You know, the one who gives that terrible yeah. speech, tells all of the old fuckers to get the yeah. program. Yeah, she's supposed to be, like in the script, even her twin sister maybe. But, um, as Priest, uh, who's got sort of a terrible straggly hair and square glasses on and a snowman played by Donnie Yen both greet Blade respectfully compared to all the others um, there's Chopper and his buddy Reinhardt uh, played by Ron Perlman which makes up a fantastic cast when you include mm. the cat and, and you know everybody's involved it's a pretty stellar sort of grouping of people whatever you say about Blade 2 it's, it's a strong cast after attempting to man, to man up to Blade, Reinhardt ends up with an explosive device in the back of his head, um, filled with silver, or silver nitrate, 
uh, Blades Insurance to ensure that the Blood Pack do as they're told. I love that. I love these parts. Of... <laughs> He's just egging him on. He's like, come on. So then, yeah, stab me. <laughs> he just smacks me in the face twice. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're getting angry. Do it! <laughs> and the other two vampires, the ones in charge, are just like, well, whatever, this is going to play out the way it plays out. Um, he then makes a plan with Kat and Nessa to take him to the biggest local vampire night spot, the House of Pain. Cut to the House of Pain, <laughs> where Blade and Nessa talk about how the vampires had to change things up since Blade started out on his crusade. They've tightened security, quote-unquote, tightened <laughs> security. This is laughable, uh, which is a lie when you see what what's happening. And she shows Blade new ways of vampires hiding in plain sight, um, using using sort of like UV paint to mask their, their glyphs on the walls. Mm. Why put glyphs in the first place? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just tell every person, give them letters or something, I don't know. Email them. Meanwhile, Whistler is giving out uh, the Blood Squad, or whatever, random Blades uh, weapons, and telling them about you know all, how they all work like bullets and stuff Blade tells Whistler that, and Scud to wait out front and cover him uh, Whistler taking a sniping position on a roof so the bloody so the so bloody crew enter the club and it seems beefed up security in their eyes it's two average looking men standing outside a thin wooden door beefed up security inside which is more ridiculous. Two men are standing in a corridor lined with hundreds mm. and hundreds of perfectly clean, sharp-bladed weapons. Mm. A couple of them being just hacksaws, but um, on on plinths for anybody to just grab. So people could just run in, grab these weapons, and just start attacking anyone. Yeah, great security. The security gets worse, actually. <laughs> we enter the club, which Blade dislikes for no reason, filled with what looks to be about a thousand revelers uh, Bladen makes note later on that's about three, two to three hundred but it's definitely more than that when it comes to bodies in the room if you look I can see a big yeah. um, dancing to sort of hip hop techno dance music uh, vampires are snogging with razor blades in their mouths one bored lady is having some extreme back surgery during dinner and Bill Bailey is there shitting his pants at the sight of a blade and running <laughs> away he's up oh my god yeah we get a little more cl uh, classism as Priest complains that the bulk of the vampires in the club aren't purebloods and posits that they should kill them all it's, to me it's quite funny it's interesting though because it's building this world where purebloods and you've got the, the turned vampires and then you've got these new reapers underneath and then Blades just considered a how the purebloods hate sort of like the people that we made yeah and I'd, maybe they should because Blade would anyway anyway we get a little more classism from that and then we get a shot of the layout of the club which for some reason has been constructed with a metal grating floor over a pit lined with spikes like something rejected from Mortal Kombat 2 <laughs> and this pit also has a massive sewer access point which is filled with reapers great security Beefed up security. Amazing security. Jared is here already. And he's sniffing the air and noticing Blade is in the club with his sense of smell. Uh, that or sewage reminds him of 
the Daywalker. Maybe his aftershave is called Daywalker. Who knows? The Blood Men crew start fanning out and exploring the building. Wait, has Donnie Yen been dressed in Japanese-centric gear? Has Donnie Yen been cast as Japanese? Probably, yeah. I do think that's all. Anyway. It's like typecasting. It's just racially insensitive. Anyway, Hammerhead and his knockoff Black Widow uh, scope out the area together. Hamhock being stalked by a reaper in the kitchen. Uh, the cat spotting another one in the building. Meanwhile, Scud is enjoying a donut in his van uh, as reapers start to assault it. Whistler having mysteriously vanished from the rooftop. Crispy cream donuts and all. Somehow, Jared pops up directly in front of Nessa, grabbing her with zero struggle. Wasn't she a super ninja who nearly beat Blade earlier? Yep. And now she's just, now she's just, just, just one, one sudden. She didn't even see him turn up. He was right in front of her. Just pops out right in front of her. What? Oh. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it just hurts. Other reapers begin to attack the blood, but the blood bangers. <laughs> Jared and Blake have a chat that ends quickly with a shot to Jared's head, sending him flipping back into a cabinet of fine china. Little, little CG flying through the air. I, I think that was practical effects. Yeah. Him flying back, like backwards yeah. flip. That's too much of a. He's on a rope rig sort of look, but you never know. Uh, Priest is easily held at bay by a reaper. Um, Hamstampton gets into it with his hammer, breaking the reaper's neck. In what is really fantastic practical animatronics effects. But when you see the animatronics in the film, they look amazing. You don't know where the people end and the animatronics start um, and whenever you see the mouth kind of splitting open and somebody fighting while one is trying to suck his blood that's all animatronics as well uh, Reinhardt blasts one reaper back with a shotgun while yes those are samurai swords they they cast Donnie Yen as a Japanese person and mute anyway you don't speak Chopper starts slowly uh, shooting wildly into the club killing several vampires but doing nothing to the reapers Priest gets his arm broken very easily and is pinned to a post by one reaper who then opens his mouth, splits his mandible in half and begins to feed on his forehead. Hamster begins to face the same fate as he is bitten but saved by his girlfriend Val. Scud rams his van into a wall while under attack from several reapers, killing one with massive lights mounted to the front. He lets the bloody Valentines know that his UV lights are the only weakness, and so much, uh, so much for the top tier blood blood breakers. I should say that again. So much for the blood top tier blood breakers. I wish I hadn't written that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the joke of changing their name every time is, is starting to become a challenge. Blade and Jared have a quick tussle on some wooden supports. Blade injecting Jared with his exploding vampire juice from the first film. That's what's in the wrist punchy blades he's got on. Jared quickly fights this off and tackled blades off the suspension. Both men falling very slowly through the air as they fight. Blade does a simple leg sweep that somehow tosses Jared 30 feet (laughs) through the air. He just goes with his leg and he just spins through the air for God knows how far. Jared and Blade then fight. 
blade with his sword and Jared with a bit of rebar. After shining sunlight into Jared's fa face with his sword, kind of reflect his, it off the side of his sword, uh, Jared turns into a CG animation and flees the scene. I don't know how they, I don't know how he got away from it in that scene though, because it's, it's daylight outside. Sewers still the access point, aren't they? But like that whole place is just a big sewer underneath. I guess that is true. I quite like the fight scene though on top of their scaffolding. It's an alright fight scene. It's not the again, it's not as good as that blade no. fight earlier. Blade complains to Nessa about the lack of knowledge uh, around the Reapers' uh, immunities and asks why Jared didn't kill her. Um, Priest begins transforming into a reaper. The fanny packs attempt to kill him uh, to put him out of his misery, but after several shots to his chest and slicing his head in half, he's still kicking and screaming. Blade then blasts a hole in the wall and finally kills him with sunlight, leaving only the top of his head blinking at everyone. I was like, oh, he's still alive. Well, that bit of it. <laughs> See it just kind of moving along later on or something. Scud walks in with Whistler, complaining that he left his post. Apparently, Whistler got into it with a reaper, which isn't true. He just followed one later. Apparently, he found one with his arm stuck in some sort of opening, uh, and he started like gnawing on it to get try and get out like an animal. Um, it's the same room we saw earlier, so Reaper was able to follow this. Uh, Whistler was able to follow this Reaper through an alleyway. Directly underneath the highly secure club that they were talking Great about. Great security they got in there. Great, Great security. security. <laughs> the Scooby gang take a look down below before heading home with the injured Reaper. So what do you think of the, the club fight scene? The whole club thing, yes. The whole, the whole setting. It's like there are elements there where they're trying to do something interesting with the sort of culture, the whole... Oh, of course vampires would kiss with razor blades. I don't think it's a bit of a crazy party scene like well were there humans in there as well I guess yeah they're feeding on some yeah but um, no it's all vampires they just brought some people in to yeah. have lunch um, and the fight the, the initial fight it's kind of a bit all over the place yeah. um, that one guy getting bitten and then just pretending he hadn't been bitten yeah uh, seems just crazy we'll get to that later I think but uh, it's alright Sort of setting an interesting sort of space. I don't know why they've done the. Unless they want to make back to the idea of maybe occasionally they have blood showers again, like that first film, yeah. and that's why they have grating in the floor. But that's not got to be comfortable to sit. Are they fight. They fight there until yeah. death. I don't know. We cut to Lord Eli, and he's enjoying some sort of lovely pudding after dinner, like a sort of <laughs> blood jelly. Oh yeah, so I was like, oh. <laughs> Cuisine. He's, he's eating it really daintily with a little tiny fork. He doesn't finish it though. He gets an update on how things are going before taking a relaxing bloodbath. The Radox bloodbath. Only the best for Eli. <laughs> Only the best. <laughs> Only the best for Jackers of Rock and Eli. <laughs> um, cut to Blade and Nessa talking about the dying Reaper they have captured. Apparently, if they don't feed regularly, they die quite quickly. Except for Jared who is like the, the patient zero. We move to a Reaper autopsy uh, on another fantastic practical effect, all, all practical, physical sort of dummy there. Sledgehammer is still somehow, and for some reason, keeping his bite hidden from everyone, even with yellow ooze dribbling oh, from yeah. his chest. While the autopsy continues, the vampires find Reapers have a bone casing 
around their hearts, making them almost unkillable. Blade tells the blood, bloody sack that they need to be ready for sunrise, which they complain about, one using the C word. <laughs> naughty. <laughs> naughty, naughty. Cut to Norman in the rain outside, digging through the trash for parts to make a UV hand grenade out of. Meanwhile, Blade is taking a shot of his fridge full of anti-vamp serum. Nessa tell, asks him why he hates them so much, because apparently he's been talking to them rude, even though the vampires have out, been outright dicks to Blade <laughs> so far, and he's been quite stoic throughout. Actually, he's not been really that rude to no, really. no, he's pretty, like, Everything he said is pretty reasonable, considering the situation. Um, she says she was born pure blood, and she's made peace with that. Which looks, uh, which looks, looks makes that doesn't make sense. Uh, makes it look like the film is trying to say that pure bloods or aristocracy is good. Because <laughs> like, why can't you be more like me, Blade? You're being quite but, unreasonable. But they want to, they want to be like him anyway. That's the weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> Deep down, they want to be like him. They want to be Daywalker, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange conversation. But I don't know what the movie's trying to say there, but. I mean, it's like it's trying to say something about social differences, but at the same time implying that the the posh, wealthy, elite vampires are the best ones, um, or the more deserving of life. We yes. then move over to a quick conversation between Whistler and Scud, with Scud filling him in on how uh, Blade and Scud met. Apparently, he was backpacking. He met two what happened to be vampire ladies. <laughs> And in an attempt at a threesome, he invited him to his tent until they tortured him and Blade saved him and took him on as a weaponsmith. You see all the scars on his chest? Yeah, he's got all the scars on his chest. That almost sounds like that he's... Because of what happens, there could be another reason for them scars and stuff. Um, But we'll we'll, we'll move on from that. Um, They test a UV grenade and Whistler looks to be taking a liking to him, finally. They give each other yeah. a high five and he gives him a little smirk, you know. Next, over some gearing up montage, we see the team get ready. They have uh, show the team a new suitcase UV bomb. I'm not sure how it's supposed to work, technically. Why, why not? Just a really big, sort of single. No, it's just loads of grenades in a use, what looks to be a suitcase. Um, and after a small bonding moment, Blade is called over by Whistler who accuses him of becoming sweet on Nessa <laughs> uh, Blade tells Whistler the very well known saying about keeping friends and enemies close for some reason and then we cut away and yeah, I don't know well, what he's implying it's not, much, it's not much really between him and Nessa anyway the, the, it, and what does that mean about uh, him and Whistler is he accusing Whistler of being an enemy or a friend uh, <laughs> Is it almost like, feels like some part it, is even cut out from which yeah, like the writing doesn't quite mesh quite well. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the autopsy and, and I quite like the autopsy and the crew and all that. Yeah, the, the, the gun coming out when they're like There's a really detailed body. And when there's blood in him and he's like kinda wanna be like aliens or something like that. Like. Yeah. It's interesting. It's one of the high points I think of the film. Uh, we return to the sewer entrance we saw before. And the team, t- the team head down. The group split into three groups for some reason: Blade, Nessa, and the cat; Whistler, Reinhardt, and his mate; and Black Widow, Hammer Time, <laughs> and Chinese Samurai. Hammer Time. 
Quickly, Hammerstein turns into a Reaper and kills Donnie off screen. Complete waste. Complete waste. Um, Reinhardt and Cup, uh, Chopper begin to beat up Whistler as Verlaine. Uh, I can never get a name right. Finds Hamtaro feeding on Snowman. A quick fight ensues, but she kills herself and Hammerstand by opening a sewer cover <laughs> and exposing them both to sunlight, which makes Hammer's whole infection storyline pointless, as it has no effect on the main plot at all, aside from killing off three side characters. Yeah. Like the, their deaths affect nothing. I guess they just wanted to give the characters fast. They're like, oh, when they the the characters may as well not been there. Yeah, it's my. At they all. must have killed him in the club now and then. Yeah. We then find Reinhardt as he tests the sun uh, sun rays on his arm for some reason, and a pack of Reapers start making their way down tunnels ahead of him. He primes the gun uh, the the bomb, but can't get it to set off. Blade hears him radio in and realizes the team is in trouble, and runs runs to warn Nessa, before things quickly go badly as the cat is surrounded by seven Reapers and fed on gets dragged into the sewer water. Nessa is making an escape as Blade sets off a grenade. Chupa is still beating Chupa? Chupa? Chupa Chups? Yep. Is still beating up Whistler, but is attacked by a pack of Reapers after Whistler sets off the pheromones. Oh, yeah. yeah. He kind of attracts them in. Reinhardt, Blade and Nessa meet up in an enclosed area before Blade and the Reapers, uh, before Blade leads the Reapers away and primes the UV bomb. Blaine, eventually, after the bomb goes off, finds Nessa wounded in the sewer and gives her some of his blood to heal her. In the meantime, Jared corners Whistler and passes him a ring. Oh, oh yeah. That's sweet. He wants to be mates. He whispers in Whistler's ear some of his truths. Out of nowhere, a group appears and captures Blade, taking him and the rest of the survivors away. So what do you think of this whole... Sewer oh, section. I was like, oh, my, 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 I forgot to tell you the bomb doesn't work. I'm like, oh. Yeah, but that's not a surprise from his character. I know, but I was like, this guy, like, must say something else going on here. This day. I mean, what happens from this point on sort of defies explanation. <laughs> except for one point where they do something with Blade for reasons, but... If if he's tr if he knows he needs to capture Blade, say for example, yeah. and keep him alive, why is he trying to trick him into getting bitten by these Reapers or kill him? Because the Reapers are trying to kill him, literally. Like it's, it's so weird. Uh, <laughs> maybe he's just being a dick in general. Anyway, well, in general, it's not a great scene uh. or fight sort of section, but it kind of takes out several characters and. Speeds us along to the, fi the final sort of third of the film. Cut to Nessa waking up. She's home and her father Eli is with her. She apologises to him for dishonouring the family crest. Somehow. I'm not sure what, quite what she did. Maybe he's taking Blade's blood. Uh, maybe, but she doesn't, didn't really choose it. No. She tells him Blade saved her and that she sees him as brave and honourable. They have him held up in a large room with Whistler and Scud. Weapons have been taken away and they are under the eyes of several snipers. Whistler states that someone's been keeping a tab on them. 
from the inside. No. Except all of this could easily have happened without some sleeper agent because one, the vampires knew where they lived anyway and were already true, in their yeah. base. Uh, and were, walked in freely. A blade's choice. There was no need for any sort of spy. <laughs> and Whistler t told them all about his weapons and stuff. Like. <laughs> ridiculous. Anyway. There's a spy on the inside. Us, all of us. We're all the spy. We're only our I'm working for spies. the vampire emperor, and there's a spy on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Whistler tells Blade that the Reaper virus wasn't evolutionary, but instead designed. Jared told him, and he just just believes him. Just believes him that way. He let him because he let him live, I suppose. Eli shows Blade his collection of embryos, and explains that Jared is his first son. An attempt to fix the vampire's genetic defects. Whistler calls him a liar, <laughs> tosses the ring Jared gave to him, and even though he literally just said Jared was cloned from his DNA, Nessa leaves shocked. So he, he says essentially he was cloned from me, he, he was my clone, and we we're trying to use him to make stuff. Whistler still doesn't believe him, has a go at him, and then he says the same thing again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I just told you, mate. He was my son. And then his his daughter runs away. Like, who isn't keeping up with what's going on here? Eli follows her. Reinhardt uses a moment to shoot Blade and strike Whistler, only for Blade to activate his head bomb. Except... It doesn't work. It's a dud. <laughs> oh, shit, swerve. Scud is working for the vampires. Reinhardt pulls out the bomb and gives it to Scud. No, why did they take away Blade's weapons but not the detonator? Maybe they wanted to see that happen because they knew it was a dud <laughs> and it was all like pretty part of the plan. But, yeah, but Blade lets Scud know exactly uh, that actually it's a working bomb and then he pulls out second detonator and then blows up Norman with a massive explosion. Where did the second detonator come from? They, if they checked him properly, take both detonators. I don't know. Uh, but not letting him know that he knew he was a spy. So that's a like, triple super swerve. Then Blade's like, I already knew you were a spy. Yeah, I was on chill. Like, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've known all along, mate. You can't trick like, me. What's going <laughs> <laughs> so instead of just shooting Blade, because they've got loads of snipers and Whistler with the snipers around the edge of the room. The vampires come in and shock Blade while Whistler is dragged away. Like, could have just killed Whistler because they have no plans for him. Blade is then dragged into a room and placed on a table with some very thick spikes are shot through his arms and legs used to pin him down and drain is his blood. Is that the blood. first one all over again? Sort of. <laughs> the spikes in that one are just to drain his blood. Yeah. They're much smaller. Um, but these ones like go right yeah. through and pin him down. Side note, the spikes here are so big they should shatter both blades radius, ulna, tibia and fibia bones. I think that because they go literally they, they go all, all the way through his arm. So that he should have no bones left at that point. Reinhardt is taunting Whistler for some reason but not actually doing anything with him <laughs> as we see Whistler picking his cuffs. Meanwhile, outside the military force is patrolling as Jared is scoping the building out. Inside, Nessa is confronting her father, accusing him of using her and lying. He grasps her by the neck and sets in stone his thoughts about the blood ties 
of his family and his priority about making the whole race better. He then makes some quote about God liking spiders over flies for some reason, which is <laughs> entirely relevant and not just a cool sounding line. Back on the table, Blade gets, uh, lets Kirill or Carl or what, however you pronounce his name know that Jared is after revenge and that he's here. How he knows this, we don't know, but he's not wrong as alarms blare and Jared attacks several guards. <laughs> just runs at loads of people and they just stand there and then he, he kills them all. Rein Reinhardt is beating up Whistler as alarms blare and Whistler attacks him from behind, somehow overpowering him with a few punches, despite being an old man and him being a superpowered vampire that's way bigger than he is. He quickly crawls through the floor, moves to the next room and shoots Carl uh, and releases Blade from the table. Blade just keeps repeating the word blood. 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 Jared makes his way through the complex, forcing doors open and assaulting the remaining guards. Meanwhile, Whistler drags Blade back through the holding room with the blood pool as Reinhardt misses every shotgun shot he attempts. <laughs> Blade quick, uh, emerges from the blood pool, healed, as several guards arrive. Where were they all along? This is this army of guards come out of nowhere. It's like, I thought they were all killed by Jared, or... Where were they hiding? I don't understand. Anyway, Blade quickly kills all of them as Reinhardt does nothing. <laughs> Finishing the last one with a standing suplex. I think I was like, okay. <laughs> Blaze is being shown off. Blaze shown off again. He then finally kills Reinhardt with a callback to Blade's ability to blush, and slices him. Oh, yeah. Whistler then to tosses Blade his all-important sunglasses before shooting out the embryo collection. As Elias attempts to flee, Nessa locks the door. Uh, to escape and allows Jared to attack. After an attempt to win over, uh, Jared over fails, Jared bites Eli, who for some reason has blue blood. Maybe he's literally yeah. a blue blood. Blue <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. yeah, See what they were doing? Visual metaphors? A blue blood. Uh, Nessa then gives herself over willingly to Jared. Blade arrives just out of time, and the two have a final battle to the death. More CGI fun happens. There's punches and kicks, your usual. Some of the set is used. Um, but eventually Blade gets the other hand and uses his broken sword to stab Jared in the side and strike the edge of his heart. The heart's protective bone casing being just missed. Jared, beaten, chooses to end his own suffering and kills himself. Blade then takes Nessa outside to fulfil her dying wish to switch to watch the sunrise killing her before she turns into a reaper herself fade to black we then move to London Piccadilly Circus yeah. the usual ads lit up for Sanyo TDK and Nescafe it's not possible to date the time based on the ads sadly I tried we find our old friend Bill Bailey visiting a nudie booth that apparently exists in Piccadilly and spending a tenner for a quick tug. He's got some razor blades there as well for some reason. Like he's going to cut himself while wanking off. Anyway, 
Only it's not the striptease he was expecting. Instead, it's a sexy blade dance. <laughs> Do you think I forgot you? As he finds, when the curtains open, Blade finally catching him later with a sword to the head. <laughs> Credits. So what do you think? A final discussion. What do you, what do you think of the overall film? The overall film was okay, but it just had so much... Some of the storytelling in this film was just a bit... Just... Back yeah, crazy. Yeah, patchy. Like, and, patchy. Like, why um, did she give herself over to him willingly? I don't know. Because she's become a weeper, she knows that she's got, she's got like stuck on. Otherwise, she's gonna die. Like, there's no benefit being a weeper at all. Like, she, I think she thinks she's gonna kill her, but he just bites her instead. <laughs> I don't know what her idea <laughs> is. Um, there's a lot weird. What do you think of the, the, any sort of points in the film that stand out to you? I quite like the fight scenes in this film. Some of them, they're better than the first film. The fight scenes. I think the one between the two vampires. Yeah. And Blade in his space is a standout. Um, if you take out all the CGI sort of weird animation, but generally, yes, it's all it's it's all right in that area. But I don't really feel it builds in anything. This I film, think, I think the 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 ideas going on here have got potential. But need to be flushed out a bit more. I think I think it needs to be maybe an extra thirty minutes to edit this film, explaining certain bits that would have made less reliance on CGI. Yeah. Um, like the idea of a group of vampires, uh, like sort of specially trained killers, is good. But then they all appear to be completely inept. Yeah, they can't even fight. Simple like the weepers. first, the first two are right, but the, the after that they're, they're terrible. And even the they they become really inept afterwards. If they can't defeat simple re- simple weepers, then <laughs> that all they have to do is take a, a flashlight with them the whole yeah. time. Um. And like the the hierarchy thing, there's a lot less law building. It's just the 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 one sort of powerful vampire in his family, the club, and then just the streets, and that's it. There's less done around the history, and society in the first film. Um, it's still, again, like you say, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's, it's watchable. It's not. It's not. You're not gonna have a terrible time watching it. It's considered better than the first one. I say in, in, when it comes to reviews, but I think a lot of its strengths are visual design yeah. ideas, and um, it's longer than the first one as well. It feels shorter. That's it's quite fast paced, though. It? It, it sort of keeps going. Like it's no. I think the sewer section drags a little bit, um, and it's messy. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's there's something there, but it's not quite no. clicking. Um, but I'm glad to have finally seen it <laughs> after years of intending to. And I think the, the design, the 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 lead Reaper, Jared. I think his overall look, his design is really good. The character work is good there. Um, you can see why Del Toro worked with Luke again for Hellboy Two. Mm. Um, he likes working with people he can rely on I think Um, but yes so it'd be interesting to see where the timeline lands for the next film because we've done two we might as well do the three (laughs) between us Um, and I don't know whether or not I'll do something to fit in the TV series I mentioned before the TV show is considered the same universe Uh, I think it's only the one series about 13 episodes I'm not sure but it looks cheap it looks cheap 
cheap. Foy is cheap, that's why. Yeah. So uh, we'll finish off with a quick rundown of the additions to our timeline. Um, so we have our earliest new addition to the timeline. On the 13th of April 1950, Ron Perlman was born in Washington Heights, New York. Uh, on 16th September 1960, Danny John Jules was born in Paddington, London. Paddington, yeah. <laughs> Paddington, yeah. Actually, a lot of people feel that way about Paddington. Actually, um, very popular film, Paddington. Never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, the second one is like totally heartwarming, but uh, you know, me and Ned both saw bits of the first one, and the the bits of slow motion and the slapstick stuff feels kind of out of place. Anyway, off set, off track. Another, another timeline. Another, another time. time. We'll, do, we'll do a Paddington <laughs> timeline. <laughs> oh, God. Imagine it's happening at the same time as this. Um, on the 8th of September 1962, Thomas Kutchman is born in uh, Dassau, East Germany. I'm getting his name wrong. Um, on the 27th of July 1963, Yen Zetdan or Donny Yen or Donny Yen Yidan is born in Guangzhou, uh, Guangdong, China. On the uh, 20. Am I looking at the right date? Oh, yes. Yes, that's an update. On 1966 now. I think I've updated this probably. Um, a year earlier, Blade is born by C section after his mother is bitten. 66. So he's a year older now. On the 29th of September 1968, Luke, Go Luke Damon Goss is born. On the 6th of January 1969, um, Norman Reedus is born in Hollywood, Florida. Um, on the 13th of December 1969, only a few months later, Tony Curran is born in Glasgow, Scotland. Glasgow. Glasgow. <laughs> On the 20th of September 1970, actress, um, oh, wrong person, sorry, wrong timeline, 19th of September 1971, um, uh, Samna McCoy Lathan is born. Um, and 29th of September, uh, December 1972, uh, Eleanor Valera is born in Santiago, Chile. Um, uh, where are we? You're born in the 11th of March, 1988. Yeah. Um, and then we move to the events of Blade 2. Uh, after the release of Blade in UK screens on the 13th of November, 1998, on a date unknown, likely 1999, Blade 2 pre-credit scene uh, takes place and Jared attacks the blood bank uh, in Prague, in the Czech Republic, on the 9th of September 1999, most likely, Blade 2 takes place day one. Blade rescues Whistler and administers the cure for vampirism. That's yeah. the 19th, 9th of September. On the 10th of September, Blade 2's second day takes place, where Blade and the Blood Pack encounter the Reapers in the House of Pain Vampire Club. On the 11th of September, Blade returns to the blood pack with the blood pack to the sewers. Uh, 
and they were almost completely wiped out. On the 12th of September 1999, Blade kills Jared Nomak. And finally, on a date unknown, Blade arrives in London and kills Bill Bailey. <laughs> Bill Bailey the vampire. We finish up with the release of Blade 2 on the 22nd of March 2002 in the US and the 29th of March 2002 in the UK. Cool. That's our latest date on the timeline. <laughs> Next up, we'll be visiting the timeline once again to finish up our pilot series of the timeline on Blade uh, Trinity, it's called, isn't it? Not Blade yeah, 3. Trinity, Blade yeah. Trinity, which is a great pun. Good use of tr the three, the tri, the Trinity. Well, I'm for that film with Triple H. <laughs> Triple, Triple H. We'll be. We'll get to. We'll get to look at Triple H's birth date. That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, and look at all of the the events of Blade Trinity. So, if you're listening along with this episode, feel free to go away and watch Blade Trinity. Uh, I think we're going to be basing it on the extended cut DVD release UK. Um, it's probably pretty close to any other cuts that are out there, but. There might be scenes that are different again. Um, but feel free to watch along with us. And we'll be back sooner next time, I think. Yeah. Now we've got a plan for the final episode of this pilot series. Um, oh, what was that? Oh, no, you hit <laughs> Stop hitting everything. We'll be uh, back in a few weeks with Blade 3 or Blade Trinity and the third episode of this series of the timeline i've been Rob smith he's been limit bar and uh, thank you for joining us we'll see you again next time ta-ta <laughs> see you see you next time